So tonight I want to talk about our practice as intimacy with the mystery. This is a, a koan from the Blue Cliff Record. It's part, part of a koan. It's called Paufu's Summit of the Mystic Peak. And so this is to what they like to call in the koan literature adepts uh, on a walk together. And adepts means um, people who have practiced in a thoroughgoing way over a long period of time and, and have tasted the ins and outs of uh, the Dharma. So summit of the mystic peak. Once when Pao Fu and Chang Ching, it's the two names, once when Pao Fu and Chang Ching were wandering in the mountains, Pao Fu pointed with his hand and said, right here is the summit of the mystic peak. Chang Ching said, indeed it is, what a pity. Once when Pao Fu and Chang Ching were wandering in the mountains, Pao Fu pointed with his hand and said, right here is the summit of the mystic peak. Chang Ching said, indeed it is, what a pity. So intimacy with mystery beyond the human mind is why the Zen lineage has come down and maybe many other lineages have come down to this uh, present day. And maybe it's necessary to say this because sometimes Zen is reduced to being essentially a way of being calm and present. Like a kind of Zen shampoo thing with the little lines in the sand and the stones stacked up and people are like, oh, Zen. Or sometimes Dharma is reduced to a kind of meditative psychology that the essence is about being happy. And that may be true, but the happiness is a either a byproduct of not taking the self to be as real as we thought it was, or B, they're talking about a happiness that's different than conditioned happiness. Now the mystery, even though it's um, the mystery, you can say something about it. You can say some things, and of course the saying of the things aren't the thing, But you can say some things, some words that hint that might resonate. And there are some things that can't be spoken. It can't be articulated. Maybe a piece of music or um, a work of art can touch it, can hint at it. But here are some of the qualities of, I'm just using this word mystery, 
you could call it whatever. And the first is boundlessness. That which is edgeless, without a beginning or an ending, boundless. The second is it's luminous and transparent. There is a quality of uh, light to it. All the spiritual traditions, almost all of them have something to say about light. Different symbols for light. The mystery has a quality of energy. Taoists have a, a concept where they talk about three levels of energy. One is your personal vitality. It's associated with your kidneys and your sexual energy. And we lose it as we age or get stressed. Then there's Shen, which is spirit, which is the mystery's energy being plugged into the source. And then Qi or key or prana, which most of us, we're very familiar with that. And that we're in touch with the mystery, we're more available to that level of energy. Again, these are just words, but what do they hint at? So boundlessness, luminous transparency, energy, it has the quality of knowingness. Some of the scriptures say um, the Buddha mind is omniscient. Omni, everywhere, everywhere knowing. Everywhere knowing. Sometimes when this gets filtered through a theistic lens, we feel like oh, God is watching me. I remember when I was young, I used to feel like I was in a, someone's movie. I had this weird feeling, like I'm in someone else's movie. We're in someone else's dream. It's not really a someone else. The mystery has the quality of undividedness. You often hear me talking about how one of the functions of ordinary mind is discrimination. The reason that you know that a door is not a cupcake is because there's a function of your brain that can distinguish one object from another. And so Ordinary mind deals in discrete things that are unrelated. Some people talk about the processing of the brain that something is known only because of what it's not. Actually, knowing something is a process of negation. This is a pen because it's not a cupcake. But the mystery has a quality of undividedness. Time is undivided. It 
space is undivided. The mystery is not divided into polarities of Democrat or Republican. Masculine and feminine, here or there, good or evil even, which is something very difficult to really grasp. Mystery has the quality of perfectionness. Doesn't make any sense. As I'm often saying, it doesn't make any sense for the ordinary mind that things could be perfect, um, especially the things that we don't like. There's no way that they're perfect. This is another order. And everything belongs. Everything has its own light, as Yunmen said. It's a good koan to keep company with. Everything has its own light. So perfectionness. It has the mystery has the quality of compassion. Sometimes in hindsight, we can go through something really difficult, and maybe years later, but in practice, we can see how that was something that delivered us into um, a deeper version of ourselves or a truer version of ourselves. From our ordinary human perspective, we can't help but see injustice and see a world of victims and perpetrators and that's true from our human perspective but from the mystery's eyes there's just compassion in a sense it's all a goad to wake up mystery has the quality um, to these are really one. When you talk about them, they seem divided. It's timeless. And maybe this is one of the first qualities we begin to get some fragrance of in sitting, is this quality of eternity. Time standing still. That kind of feeling. That kind of experience. It has um, a timelessness to it in that it's actually always here, but then it's not here because the mystery is ungraspable as a thing or an object. So it's nothingness. You can't, you can't possibly get a hold of it. And that's why mystery is a good word. So I articulated some things, I put words to some things, and that may uh, inspire or affirm, it may just as likely confound and obstruct. But some things are beyond articulation and understanding. There's absolutely nothing, There's they're just, because language is working within a dualistic structure. Everything I said has an opposite. There's an opposite of compassion. There's an opposite of perfection. There's an opposite of 
knowingness. And the mystery is not confined to these dualities. There's something in our practice about working in the dark. Working in the dark. There's a very wonderful teacher named uh, Joan Sutherland. And she talks about two aspects of practice. One is enlightenment and the other is endarkenment. There's something going on in your meditation work, especially when you're undertaking it with a devotion. There's something going on that you don't have on radar and I don't have on the radar. You might be clearing your great-grandmother's twisted karma each time you sit. Can you know that for certain? All certainties are suspect. All of them are suspect. So in respecting the mystery, we do devoted meditation work without trying to grasp it. This is mature practice. <clears throat> this is what frustrates a lot of people about the Zen tradition, because unlike the other traditions of Buddhism, there are very few maps of realization and insight. There are some that are very much worth looking at because they're just more windows into the mystery. In the Soto lineage in particular, there's um, Dongshan's five ranks, or five positions. You can find a good book on that by Ross Bellatier, I think it is. And it's a good book because it will just nudge you into more mystery rather than giving you a new scaffold. But more important than knowing where you are or where I am, which is generally a delusion of the relative mind, is doing devoted meditation work without trying to grasp it. We try to position ourselves. Just like we walk in a room and our ordinary mind tries to see who's more beautiful, who's less beautiful, who's more wealthy, less wealthy, who's more successful, who's that this ranking thing happens right away and we kind of find ourselves based. We look at how people hold their bodies, what they're wearing. Maybe some of the social anxiety we feel is we're trying to kind of find our position. And we bring that into meditation too. Kind of sitting in the zendo, we want to know who's more awake or who's more advanced or do they have it or... So respecting um, the mystery is not positioning ourselves. Seeing the futility of positioning ourselves in relationship to our own um, practice. It's okay if you like, don't know if your practice is good or bad. And if you don't think my practice, you have some innate integrity about it. That, that will kind of align you and realign you. And if you if you have some affinity with the teacher, they can help align you, realign you. But you actually don't need to know where you are. 
What I'm saying is we know if we're sincere. That's like, that's a deeper knowing than our mind's positioning. We know if we're sincere. Eventually, we will hit a point where whether we're trying to respect the mystery or not, it just becomes, we just don't know. And we lose our bearings. And this is actually very good. But if we don't know that it's very good, we could find this a discouraging place to hit. And especially if you read one of these manuals that tells you it should unfold in this kind of beautiful linear way, you should glide from A to Z. Those can be misleading in that way. One map of practice, here's one, is that we go from instability, that's our ordinary shaky minds, we don't know what life's about, our mind is reacting to this and that, we don't like things, that's samsara, our mind doesn't like things. And then we find stability. We go from instability to stability. There's some rest of heart and mind. And then next we find a different kind of instability comes up inevitably. And the work is to find a larger stability. I was talking about this earlier that in your sitting period, especially if you sit for a good chunk of time, like the 50 minutes we sit, Eventually, if you, you, you find some stability, there'll be another wave of instability. Restlessness or boredom or some hot sexual encounter you had 25 years ago will pop into mind or cupcake or whatever, air conditioning. It will pop up or something in your body. And a lot of times we go, oh, I guess my session's kind of done. You know, like, yeah, that was good. But especially then is the time to find a larger stability, to re-ballast. It's part of respecting, respecting the mystery. We only will experience the, the boundless by, let's say we'll only really know the limitless by coming up against limits that we can't, overcome with our thoughts. And so we're shelving the evaluating mind and plunging into the dark. Sometimes it may actually be experienced like this in your in perceptual quality of your zazen. There's a dark to it. Even if your eyes are open, there's a blackness. Mystics have called this by various names over the years. There, there's a blackness. And that's a thing to lean into rather than avoid. So we're shelving the uh, um, evaluating mind and, and plunging into the dark. If we're so lucky. And then this affects our experience with the world. A tree is not a tree. 
and you could use anything, any noun, any object. A tree is not a tree. And it's more than a tree. The stuff of life is not what it is. And yet it's more than what it is. It's a vehicle for something else. And it's something else's vehicle. A tree is not a tree. This is resting into mystery. And it's more than a tree. Jim is not Jim. Plug in your name. And more than that. And then realizing that the world can become fully what it is. The poet Paul Eluard, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, said There's an- there is another world, but it is in this one. There is another world, but it is in this one. We could also say this one is inside another world. There is another world and it's inside this one. So for whatever reason, that's what I felt compelled to talk about today. Welcome, uh, Manuel. You're very welcome to be here. Just, just now opening this message. Hi, good to see you. Jungin. Yes. Uh, reflecting back on your koan that you started this with, which has something to do with mystery, I'm guessing. But is the what is it? The second one is says pity. Yeah. Um, so let's see. The koan is. Hao Fu and Chang Qing were wandering in the mountains together. Right, these are very experienced practitioners. And Pao Fu pointed with his hand and said, right here is the summit of the mystic peak. Right here is the deepest truth of awakening. Right here is the great perfection. And Chang Qing said, indeed it is. What a pity. What a pity. Is that referring to the fact that you're right, but you just put it in a box? What do you think? Keep keep company with the koan. It's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, don't, isn't it? I don't know if, if I do it sometimes or some other teachers do it. If they say something like, right here is the Buddha's awakened mind. And you're like, oh, man. Really? Like right here? The koan is more than that, but... but Can you I know, say something? Or, oh, sorry. 
Yeah, just a second. It's it's more than that, but it includes that sense of what you're talking about is like, can we talk about something with without defiling it? How often are we like with someone at a concert and somebody's got to be like, isn't this so beautiful? Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to do that? And what does that do? So that I think that is one one element of the koan, but it's it's all of them have a lot of layers. Manuel. Thank you. Sure. I was wondering if that correct me if I'm wrong, if it's somehow related to this idea or what I perceive in the idea of the koan, uh, if you meet the Buddha, kill him or something like this. Yeah. Like and mystery think... and pity and having respect for something while being able to speak it. It's this question of are these things possible? Is there some way that the mystery can be pitied and not pitied and also respected and not respected yeah. spoken of and not spoken of. And how does that relate to the killing the Buddha if you see him or something? Sorry, I'm kind of just rambling. But... No, you made sense to me. I think it's parallel to what Kozan's saying. I definitely killed the Buddha tonight. And sometimes a teacher's function is to, uh, is to kill a Buddha and sometimes it's teacher's function is to give birth to one. But the mystery doesn't care what we do. You can't blemish the mystery. In fact, it's, if, it, if it's truly boundless, it has to be these very limited words coming out of my mouth right now. So what do you do with that? There's a, a famous koan that... Um, a monk asks this teacher, and he's kind of planning to do this. He says, is it true that all sounds are the sounds of the Buddha? That all expressions are the mystery itself? And the teacher says, yes, it is. And then the student said, don't fart. Another version, he says, isn't it true that all voices are the voice of the mystery? And the teacher said, yes, it is. And then the student said, can I call you an asshole? <laughs> what does the master say? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I think he hit him. Thank you. Yeah. Which is a, is a kindness in those old Ch Chan monasteries. Thank you, master. How does the... teacher find that line between respecting and defiling, is that even something that can be charted? Or is it besides the, the, the point that you even tried? Well, the, the, job yeah. of a, the job of a Zen teacher is to dissolve places that we cling to. That's it. That's their function. Sometimes to inspire, sometimes to instruct, but wherever we take up a position to say, no, nope, not there. And there is that ongoing or, sorry, am I speaking too much? You're fine. There's like an 
and you're you're sort of sounding on this ongoing work of showing that deeper layer of instability that always comes after the one that the teacher shows that you had in the past. Until we until we stop seeking for stability, and then that's real stability. Alice is asking, what exactly is a koan? Thank you. The koans were these, the koan means a public case. Um, what they are is these collective dialogues that come down from like Tang Dynasty China all, all the way up through Japan in the 17th, 18th century. They're dialogues between teacher and student or different practitioners that came out of their practice experience and are used to kind of um, find our way back into the state of mind of those practitioners. So if we worked on the koan from tonight, we would get curious about, well, why did Changqing say, indeed it is, what a pity? What's his state of mind? And to find a state of mind, we have to enter it. So that's part of um, koans or appreciation of different states of mind that come in and practice and a way to taste them. And there's a whole bunch of them. There's like 1,500 or 2,000 or something. Pastor, you taught me that uh, there's specifically Zazen koans in the Dogen lineage, but are there ones from before that? It sounds like there are. Yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of cones. Perfect. Thank you.